Hello and welcome into this week's edition of the Rookie Stripes podcast here on Racing News Now. I'm Garth Allen and that is Mr. Tyler Guthrie. How's it going? It's going. Uh, not a whole lot to talk about as far as IndyCar this week, uh, but NASCAR had a pretty good weekend. And surprisingly, the cup race, I thought, was the best race of the weekend for like the first time this year. Uh, Darlington put on another show as normal. Uh, Darlington's always good. One of those tracks where tire degradation is a big factor in the race, and that always creates good racing. So comers and goers, and it was pretty entertaining to watch. What an IndyCar guy. Tire degradation. In NASCAR, we call it tire wear. It's called My Car Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that too. It's called Larry Mack. How many tires do we got? Right? Oh my God. <laughs> I love Larry yeah. Mack, but it's starting to yeah. get a little old. <laughs> you know, I would almost agree that the cup race was the best race of the weekend, but at the same time, I do think the truck race was a little better. Um, I very much enjoyed the truck race this weekend. Um, overall, though, Darlington, I think, did not disappoint. The entire weekend was great. Um, the Xfinity race was interesting, to say the least. Um, there were some interesting things happening there. And then we had uh, probably the most boring IndyCar race of the season so far as well. Yeah, the IndyCar race wasn't too awesome. It was a decent strategy race with guys taking different kinds of tires at different times in the race, which created like a lot of people coming and going through the field, which is interesting to watch, but the field got pretty spread out. And from that point, it was just kind of, we knew who was going to win and it just kind of lost a lot of interest. But now we're on the big track from here on to the rest of the month for IndyCar, even though today is Tuesday and the first practice day got entirely rained out because the weather said screw Indianapolis today and we'll be on the Opal for a bright and sunny day tomorrow. Nice. So yeah, give everybody a preview of what's happening IndyCar wise this week uh, from the track. So this week we got, well, we're supposed to have practice today, but the rest of the week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all those three days are entirely practice sessions for getting a race set up, just kind of, Sort of figured out, but qual focusing on your qualifying setup because Saturday and Sunday this weekend are both qualifying days. Saturday will set the middle of the starting grid. So the top 12 will move into Sunday's top 12 shootout and into the Firestone Fast 6. And the last four will go into the last row shootout on Sunday to see who goes home. So the middle, like 13 to 30, that'll all be set on Saturday. So those guys won't run Sunday. But after that, after we figure out who's the car that's going home and who's starting at the front, then everybody gets their race setup trimmed out for next week. And they only have Monday and Friday next week to get their race set up together. So if you're Colton Herta and you crash on Friday like you did last year, next week, you're going to have a really crappy 500 because these cars take a lot of preparation. The 500 cars have been in the shop since before last year's 500, getting ready for this year, this week's race. And it's a big deal. This is the number one thing in IndyCar. This is why it's called IndyCar. 
And everybody wants to win this, even people like Mark Erickson, who we didn't even know cared about the Indy 500 until recently, and then he won it, and it's the most important thing he's ever done in his life. So it'll change somebody's life. And Elio Nevis has the opportunity to go for a historic fifth Indianapolis 500. Four people have won it four times. Nobody's won it more than that. So that's what's on the line this month. He's got the opportunity for immortality. He's um, already got it, dude. Well, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, is the last row shootout a new thing? I never knew that existed. Um, They did it last year, I think. Um, They never used to do it. It was just always like one day everybody went and you figured mm-hmm. out who went home. But since they didn't have bump day for a while... Uh, it was just 33 cars qualifying. They obviously didn't have a last row shootout or whatever, but I think in the past couple of years, they started redoing it because it, it, it's more interesting TV wise to say out of these section of drivers, one of them's going mm-hmm. and it gives you kind of time to prepare. If you're like a points race team, like say your willpower, like a couple of years ago, he was on the bubble to not make it into the race and mm-hmm. gives him overnight to figure out the car and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it, last row shootout's actually kind of interesting. You would think that seeing the slowest four cars on the grid go around the track is kind of boring, but I mean, this is what everybody wants to do. So you see all those four drivers putting it all on the line to make it into the race. It's pretty fun. See, and that's why I don't like the charter system in NASCAR. One of the reasons I don't like the charter system, because you can, like in IndyCar, you can have somebody like Will Power in that bottom group and almost miss the race, and that creates excitement for qualifying. Whereas mm-hmm. in NASCAR, if if the team has a charter, you know they're in the race, regardless of how slow they are on qualifying day. So there's really no excitement there. It's just about what order they're going to be in. You You know they're all going to be in the race. It, we don't even just have provisionals anymore. It's just those 36 make it into the race. And I mean, the charter system's kind of broken as is. That's why there's only 36 guys that show up pretty much every week because it's not worth it for the non-charter teams to show up. Um, but, and, and I know charters benefit the teams because they can say to their sponsors, we'll be in this race. There's no, possibility of that not being a thing but at the same time it does um it does kind of suck from a fan a fan perspective because it makes qualifying a little less exciting well and even with bump day with all the extra coverage like if you make it into that bottom four you're automatically getting like an hour of tv time for just your car and remember a couple years ago fernando alonso got bumped out of the indianapolis 500 he wasn't even able to make the race Mm -hmm. do you remember how much media stir that caused Mm -hmm. it's a big day and you get to set the last row and the front row on the same day it's fun it's fun to be there um i can't wait to see who's in the top 12 and who makes it into the fast six this year because Last year, it was a heck of a day with Jimmy Johnson and Roman Grosjean making it into the top 12. I think Jimmy made it into the top six. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's a fun weekend for qualifying. It, it's a big weekend of tradition and sets the stage for the big race. Yeah, no, it's super exciting. I'm super excited for it, and I'm not even the big IndyCar fan that he is, but uh, it does make it exciting. I mean, what 
What NASCAR qualifying session is this exciting? Maybe the Daytona 500, but even well, that... Qualifying I, doesn't even matter for the Daytona 500. Well, yeah, qualifying doesn't matter because you get the dual races. So, I mean, you can kind of... Uh, outside of winning the pole and the outside of the front row, qualifying really doesn't matter. It's just starting spots for the duels. But, um, so I guess you could almost say that in this argument the duels would be more on par with Indy 500 qualifying. But even at that, I don't know that they're on quite on the excitement level that, that Indy 500 qualifying is just no. because you know, for the most part, who's locked in because of the charters. Yeah. And having bump day back is a huge deal for the speedway. Um, you remember a couple of years in a row, they didn't have a bump day. It was just kind of like qualifying is interesting because you want to start up front and there's always big pole speeds. I mean, last year, Scott Dixon broke the record for the pole speed at Indianapolis. And it, it, it's a fun deal to watch him do four laps flat out around the track. But having bump day and knowing that if you screw up and you're a points team, that you don't make a race and it's even worse than a DNF, like, it's a big deal, and it it's fun to see people like Able Motorsport come in and try to make the race. And honestly, I hope somebody important gets bumped out because that'll be a big story. Yeah. Now, in the past, when big teams have gotten bumped out, a lot of them have like bought their way back into the field, haven't they? Mm-hmm. And I think you can still do that, but uh, yeah, there were a couple times where big names got bumped out. And I think during the IndyCar and cart split, like the cart and whatever Penske made, um, that was cart. But in during the split era of IndyCar, Penske team came over to IndyCar to run the 500 because that's how important it was to Roger Penske. Even though he created this other series to combat IndyCar, he still came and ran the Indy 500. Mm -hmm. All four of his cars got bumped out of the race. Nice. But yeah, you can still buy your way into a seat. Uh, James Hinchcliffe did that a couple years ago, I think. Uh, qualified really badly. They knew they couldn't fix the car and hopped into somebody else's car and tried to take it for a spin. But yeah, it's just things like that. And I, I hope that someday we can get back to the 500 having 40-something cars try to qualify because back when they had 50, 60, 70 cars trying to qualify for the race, you'd have an endless line of cars trying to come back in and redo their qualifying attempt. And it's fun because uh, you can actually forfeit your qualifying attempt to go again if you think you're not going to make it. And mm -hmm. there were a couple people last year that had to do that. And you, it's a big gamble because you can make the race or make your situation even worse. And it's just, it's, it's a fun thing to watch and I'll be there both days. See, and that's another cool aspect that NASCAR just doesn't have with their qualifying is if you think you can go out and run a faster lap, you can forfeit your original time and go back out and do it again, which honestly I think would add a, a really cool extra level to, to NASCAR qualifying that is just not there. Yeah. And, Qualifying for the 500 is so important, actually, for IndyCar that they even took it off of Peacock. It's on the big NBC for a little bit this weekend. So, hmm. For a little bit? Like, the whole thing's not there? No, of course not. It It's Peacock, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, the whole day's on Peacock, and I don't even know how much Peacock is, but it's not, it's not expensive enough to just skip the entire month of May to me, so... The TV will be on Peacock as soon as I get home from work every day for the next two weeks. 
Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I don't blame you for that. Um, mine will probably be on Flow Racing all week because of all the racing at uh, North Wilkesboro leading up to uh, All-Star Race this weekend. But uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves with that. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about IndyCar-wise before we shift over to NASCAR? No, I think we got a lot to talk about with NASCAR this week, and we can do some more IndyCar next week when we know who's in, who's out, and what what it looks like, because I think this will be a really competitive Indy 500. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that. Um, all right, moving on to Darlington. Three races this weekend. We had Trucks, Xfinity, and Cup. All three, I thought, were pretty good races. I thought truck the truck race shined above the others just for... Um, the quality of racing. I mean, there was definitely a lot happening in the cup race, but I don't know that the level of racing itself was quite up with the truck race, which is surprising because I don't usually say that about truck races anymore, but yeah. Um, no, I thought the truck race was really good. Um, Eckes and Byron had a hell of a battle near the end of the race. Christian Eckes proved that, um, he is, here to stay. He has the talent. I mean, he outdueled William Byron. And this is why I have said for so long, all the fans are just so against cup drivers coming down into Xfinity and trucks because, oh, they just take all the wins away and they make it boring and blah, blah, blah. Well, they don't take all the wins away. It's up to these guys to go out there and prove that they are on the level with these drivers so that they can go up and race with them on Sundays in the future. And Christian Eckes did exactly that. He outran William Byron heads up in the final laps before the overtime started and proved that he can run with these cup guys, with one of the best in the cup series right now, in one of the best trucks in the field. He outran him in the closing laps. If that caution hadn't come out as they came to the white flag, Christian Eckes was going to win that race over William Byron. And he ended up still winning the race, even through all the overtime restarts, all the shenanigans that could have happened to him in those final restarts. None of it happened to him, at least. And he comes home with the dub. I will say NASCAR uh, was a little, uh, a little too easy to hit the button uh, for the cautions in those overtimes. Uh, it almost looked like they were trying to get another overtime out of it, and that's why everything was so confusing as to whether Eckes had taken the white flag or not. They were really on that button, and it almost seemed like they were really trying to get that extra extra overtime restart in there, and it turned out that they didn't hit it quite quick enough, and they had to call the race there, but they were really trying for that extra overtime restart, and honestly, I'm glad they didn't get it because... I'm really tired of the shenanigans here. I'm tired of them trying to make the ends of the races exciting when they didn't need to. I mean, even if we hadn't had any of those overtimes, we had a really good battle between Eckes, Byron, and Raja Carruth for that win in the final laps. We didn't need the overtimes, yet NASCAR seems to think the only way to have an exciting finish is with an overtime restart where the leader gets screwed. That, yeah. that seems to be the only thought process there. I agree with you. I'm glad that they weren't able to throw the caution there because we already had an overtime restart and they, they're definitely had multiple. Starting, yeah. They're definitely starting to get really old. And that's kind of like one of those, the race is almost over. Everybody's kind of just running towards the end. And then you, inevitably you end up widening up a whole bunch of good race cars that don't need to be tore up. And I, I 
I definitely agree with you that they were trying to get another one out of it, but it was a good enough race, so you didn't need to do that, in my opinion. And I'm glad they didn't get another one, because it would have been a big shame if Christian Eckes had gotten taken out or something, because he Mm -hmm. was having an incredible race. And I agree with your point earlier about... I'm definitely guilty of this myself, being one of those fans. It's like, oh, we don't like the Cup guys being in trucks in Xfinity. But in circumstances like this, when the truck and Xfinity guys are able to put themselves up against the best in the Cup series, it is fun. The only problem is like when you get Kyle Busch, who owned a truck team and gave himself like the best truck in the series, and then just won by like 18 miles. But yeah, I mean, I, I like it when they can shine against some of the best in the cup series right now. And William Byron is on a tear this season. Mm-hmm. Interesting well, stat that they were talked about during the cup race. That is William Byron's seventh win on its seventh different track in seven different paint schemes. Nice. Just kind of tr- little trivia from Larry Mack for you. <laughs> Larry Mack's got those Mac, what do they call it? Mac nuggets. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> um, I'm so ready for NBC NASCAR. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Never same. thought I would say that. I love Mike Joy, but he is the only, other than Tony Stewart, they are the only two good things about that broadcast this year. I don't know. Carl Edwards was pretty nice this weekend. I really enjoyed having Carl on that broadcast. Carl Edwards is alive. Yay. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, But no, going back to the Kyle Busch point, yeah, he does dominate and run away with a lot of those truck races, but he doesn't win every race that he's in there's been races that he's in that some of these truck guys have proven that they can beat him. And that's Mm -hmm. the point is these guys aren't going to win every race. They're going to win a lot of them, but that's what makes it more special when somebody like Eckes can outrun William Byron in one of these races, because it, it shows how much it takes to beat these guys and how good these guys that beat them really are and how much talent they have and how much they deserve to, continue moving through the ranks because they can actually run with these guys and beat them. Yeah. And with the way it's shaken up recently, especially this year with the truck and Xfinity races, having cup guys in it, I think it's been really good for the series and it'll be interesting. I think to see how the cup guys do in the truck race at North Wilkesboro this weekend, because none of the cup guys raced North Wilkesboro when it was still on the cup schedule, which I thought was an interesting statistic. I guess probably like Danny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick would be among the oldest that would have been around in that time period, but they quit racing there in what? 94, 96, 96. So, I mean, yeah. it's been over, it's been over 25 years since it's been on the cup schedule. Yeah. Kevin Harvick is retiring this year and he didn't start until 2001. So mm-hmm. it, it's been a little bit, it's good to see North Wilkesboro back on the schedule. Uh, they posted some pictures on social media this week of the revival of the track and versus what it looked like a couple years ago. And it's a big moment for NASCAR, I think. And it's good to see NASCAR return to its roots a little bit. I just, I hope, that the racing is good enough to justify the track coming back. Not that it needs a justification, but with the next-gen car having some concerns on the short tracks recently, I just hope the all-star race is good racing. Well, I do too. Um, The next-gen is really the biggest variable in that because as we saw from the late model races last fall when they first brought North Wilkesboro back, Those races were really good. Those races were super exciting. So 
the the track itself can still put on good racing. The next gen car is the biggest question here as to whether it will allow the racing to be good or not. I think for an all star twist, we should break out the gen six cars for a week. <laughs> If we're going to break out old cars, I think it should be something better than the Gen 6 car. Oh, yeah, but, you know. I I don't cool. know how many I don't know how many of these the Gen 6 cars are still around. Most of them have probably been still in Arca. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Arca cars aren't exactly Gen 6 cars. The bodies are different. They're, They're still specific Gen to Arca, five, aren't they? Gen sort 4 and Gen 5. The chassis the chassis are Gen 4 and Gen 5. Yeah. Um the bodies are different than the Gen 6. Like they look similar to the Gen 6, but they are mm. specific to Arca. They're not exactly the same. So I don't believe there are any actual Gen 6 chassis in Arca. Although um there the Fords are now running Mustangs. So those might be Gen 6 chassis. I'm not sure. Maybe we'll have to do like a chassis serial number trace at some point <laughs> yeah the people to do that are pretty cool I, i've always been impressed with the amount of research that goes into that but uh well, there was there was one that um i can't remember who was driving it but somebody was driving a chassis last year that was that had been driven by sterling marlin in the cup series in like 2002 and it was still <laughs> kicking around in arca that's cool yeah yeah, that, that stuff like that's pretty cool. But uh, what else do you want to talk about the truck race? Um, I think that's probably about it. There wasn't really anything else of note. Um, and I did cover the truck race and a truck rewind. So, um, if you didn't if you didn't see the race and you want a quick recap of it, that'll be uh, down below in the description if you want to check that out too. But I think probably good to move on to um, Xfinity now which didn't really have all that much going on outside of Sheldon Creed making a dive bomb that was never going to work and wadding up half the field, including his teammate. Yeah. They, like, had synchronized spinning going on in turn one, which was really weird. RCR teamwork, but not quite. It, not yeah, that, the that, teamwork that, you want. No. I uh, watched a little bit more about that move that Sheldon Creed tried to make, and it, it made sense. It's just that he wasn't able to clear, what, John Hunter Nemechek that was mm -hmm. just outside of him. If he had been able to clear Nemechek, that would have looked awesome. But yeah, Nemechek, no, no, no. It, Nemechek it dove sense. it into the corner almost as hard as he did. So right. And with how Darlington races, you kind of wash up the track a little bit, and there's not much he could have done after that. But yeah, the half the field got torn up in that, which was pretty nuts to just... I, I think I randomly glanced over while the race was on and just saw half the field wrecked at Darlington. It's like, what the heck happened here? Right. But yeah, a whole bunch of cars wadded up in that that didn't really need to be wadded up. And John Hunter Nemechek had a good race until he decided to take himself out on Kyle Larson. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess uh, I can't I can't really pull the Denny Hamlin argument from last week against Kyle Larson this week because, you know, Larson was still on the wall and Nemechek went into him, but it was the same situation. I thought it was, it was weird to have that two weeks in a row. It was exactly the same. I don't, I don't understand how you can have a different argument for this one than you did for Kansas. It was literally the exact same situation. He didn't except off replace the wall this time, except replace Denny Hamlin with, with John Hunter Nemechek, the exact same situation. Yeah. And Nemechek just kept coming up towards the wall and there was 
no more track for Larson to go to, so they yeah. just kind of bounced off each other. But I, I guess there's a lot of people saying that, that was Larson's fault, and I don't know if people are just angry about being angry last week and just have just to be Larson's fault this week or what, but I just thought these, that was interesting. These are the same people that last week didn't see the head-on view to see that Larson didn't come off the wall before he bounced, like, back. Um, because that was, that's the thing. When you see the head-on view of both crashes, Kansas and Darlington, if you look at the one from Kansas, you can clearly see that Denny did not come up into Larson. Larson bounces off the wall into Denny and comes back into the wall. In this one, if you look at the head-on view, you can see that John Hunter just kept coming up into the track and hits Larson while he's still on the wall. Larson did not bounce off of the wall into Nemechek. So, these people are not looking at the correct camera angles because if you look at it from like the, an angle from the side or whatever, it looks very different than what actually happened. Yeah, until they finally showed the head-on view of the Darlington one, the just the like top of the press box camera looked almost exactly like Kansas, and I thought mm -hmm. we were going to have another big argument about that one. But no, then they showed the head-on view, and it was it a little bit different. But it sucks to see John Hunter taken out that late in the race fighting for a win um but another win for kyle larson this year and that's kind of been the theme of larson the past several years he's won like everything everywhere but you know xfinity race is okay there wasn't a whole lot to talk about in the middle of the race it's kind of just a, a darlington race so we can't be too upset about it but as far as an xfinity race this season yeah yeah, I mean, it wasn't super good. I mean, the racing was okay, but there really wasn't much to talk about. I mean, it was just, it was a, it was an average Darlington race. I, I, I would call it, I'd give it a six, maybe a seven out of ten. Um, wasn't yeah. great, but it wasn't awful either. It was watchable. I, I think that's about the best word I can give it, watchable. Yeah, which, I mean, as far as the Xfinity series has been recently, that's a pretty low benchmark, but it's Darlington. We'll let it slide. Uh, I think that's pretty much everything for the Xfinity race, just because there wasn't a whole lot happening. But Cup race, there's a lot to download from the Cup race, and I would like to start... Well, hold on. Before we get to the Cup race, we have an ARCA race to talk about, too. That was from Saturday okay. night. All right, let's go to ARCA. ARCA East was at Nashville on... Saturday night, and it looked like it was going to be another 18-car runaway, and honestly, it probably should have been until the last lap coming through three and four, and um, Rita Goulet decided to make things interesting. Um, all of a sudden, like, Charlie is in the middle of calling William Sawalich home to the win. He comes down into three and four, and all of a sudden, boom, there's a car sitting perpendicular in the track in front of him. Shit. <laughs> yeah. And of course they hadn't called the caution yet. Like uh, not until literally William Sawalich is just barely darting to the outside of the 31 car to get around him. Then the caution comes out. And because it's Arca, this was not the end of the race, even though it was the white flag. We went to a one lap overtime finish. Oh my God. In which William Sawalich did not win. Led, moment. led the entire race up to that point and was in three and four coming to the checkered flag and does not win the race. Apparently he didn't lead the lap that counts. 
No, no, the extra lap that didn't count. Yeah, it's starting to sound like uh, NASCAR with all their overtimes recently. But yeah, at least um, with, at least with NASCAR, like if it's the white flag, it's the end of the race. Unless it's the All Star race, in which case you're Ryan Blaney and you find out the hard way. I guess. Yeah. Um. I I'm torn on this one. I hate it because. Sawalich dominated that race and deserved that win and honestly should have won that race. Led the entire race up to that point. But it did give us an exciting finish and it gave us a different winner so that Sawalich doesn't run away with the entire season and win every race. So I'm torn as to what I feel about this race because on one hand, Sawalich didn't win, even though we know he's going to win a lot more races this season, more than likely, and probably going to win the East Championship because he's in the 18 car. But he deserved that win. He dominated that race. He should have won that race, and he didn't. But on the other hand, very excited for Luke Finhouse, who did win that race off of the high side on that one-lap shootout. He restarted on the outside ran wheel-to-wheel with Sawalich for the entire lap, cleared him in three and four, and won the race. So, damn, very, very strong move by Luke Finhouse to win that race on that overtime restart to beat clearly the best car in the field. So, congratulations, Luke Finhouse. I don't want to take anything away from him from that at all, but it does suck for uh, Sawalich, who dominated that race and should have won that race, and because of Arca's weird overtime rules, didn't win it. Yeah, regardless of what the situation is, if you can have a restart and start on the outside and hang it around the outside of a car that's clearly faster than you, have it. Take it. Mm-hmm. That's your trophy. I don't care. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, and I, I agree with that. And like I said, I, congrats to to Luke Finhouse. Big win for him. Luke Finhouse has got a lot of wins ahead of him in his career. I think that's a very talented kid that we're going to hear a lot more out of in the future. Uh, but it it did kind of suck to see that taken away from William Sawalich after he had uh, dominated that race so much and just got it taken away because Rita Goulet couldn't finish one last lap. Yeah, that that's a weird overtime rule. I don't, I don't like that. I don't even like the, like, NASCAR overtime rules that that's even worse. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine yeah. what that would be like? Oh, the, the the lights came on like a car length before the checkered flag, so we got to go tear up the rest of the field. Like, <laughs> well, we almost had that in uh, in the truck race, except it was the white flag. Yeah, except Christian Eckes got kind of lucky, and they realized mm-hmm. they threw the caution too late. So, yeah, yeah. So they were they were trying for that. <laughs> It's it's for a single car accident after you just had two pileups. It's like okay, whatever, <laughs> right? And that's the thing, and that's why I'm saying they were so quick on the button for no reason. Like Grant Infinger was still moving, still rolling. As far as I could tell, wasn't putting any debris down. They could have at least waited a second to see if he was putting anything down. He was being a hazard, but he was still running a decent speed to where he could have at least gotten out of the way when he got the chance. And they could have run that last lap and it wouldn't have been an issue. But they were so quick on the trigger because they just had to have that that extra overtime restart because who knows what's going to happen. We can make it a little more exciting. 
I just no. hate that real life NASCAR officiating has made NASCAR Heat Four officiating look like it's legitimate. <laughs> I know, right? It's you bounce off the wall for no reason in Heat Four. It's like, oh, there's a yellow. Now you're going to lose 18 spots in the pits, and that's mm-hmm. exactly what the Cup Series has turned into now. But yep. All right. Speaking let's... of the Cup Series, though, yeah, let's get into the Cup Series race, and I would like to start by just putting it out there that I don't think Bubba Wallace gets enough respect these days in the Cup Series. Ooh, that's a controversial opinion. It is controversial, and I don't understand why, because he has been very solid this season. I mean, maybe average numbers by what we're used to seeing from Joe Gibbs' equipment. I know it's not a Joe Gibbs car. Please don't attack me. But it's it's basically a Joe Gibbs car. So, okay, so so I'm going to correct you a little bit on that one. Now with the next-gen car, technically, the only thing that 2311 has in common with JGR is the engines. They get, the, they get all the same engines from TRD. But because it's now basically a spec car, it's, it's the same car as a JGR car, but it's also the same car that everybody else gets outside of the nose piece. So yeah, it's just... That's... It's how they fit the car. It's how they fit those puzzle pieces together. Um, and I don't believe JGR is fitting those puzzle pieces together for them at this point. And they don't even have JGR pit crews anymore. They've got their own pit crews this year. That gives me even more gunpowder from my argument because I just I think he's been doing very well this season. And I think if we had a like a different driver that had a troubled upbringing into the series trying to think of an example, but I'm not really coming up with anything like a guy that just he's a fighter. He's there every week. He's almost won a couple races this year. He got taken out of the lead at Talladega, which was his own fault, but Um, he's competitive. It sounds like you're describing Ross Chastain. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm just saying, I'm just saying, all okay. those sounded like you were describing Ross Chastain. So there's good your thing, other example. Good thing Bubba Wallace doesn't take out every other Toyota car in the field. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But no, I I, uh, I just think Bubba Wallace has been doing a very good job this season and keeping himself out of trouble for the most part. And I just I don't understand why we're not talking about it because. We should be. And even though he had an awful pit stop in the middle of the race that sent him back to, like, 18th or something after being running second and third, I mean, he was putting up a fight to William Byron for second place, and William Byron won the race. So, I don't know. I, I just I like seeing Bubba do well, and it, it's not just because, of, ooh, he's, people don't like Bubba, so I have to. Like, I genuinely want to see him succeed because of all the bull that goes around with him like i don't understand why in 2023 we're still having a problem with bubba wallace i don't get it well i can tell you why but it would be even more of a controversial opinion that i don't know that i'm ready to bring up on this (laughs) podcast just yet i know why but you know i just i hate seeing people go all bubba wallace sucks but they should have finished even higher at the end of the race if nascar hadn't decided to have a really really weird like who was in the wreck and who wasn't like cars got to keep their spots, even though they were on the uh, crash damage clock and all that, which was weird. Yeah. So, so that's the other thing with this weekend is we talked about how quick they were on the trigger with calling cautions in the truck race. 
the officiating from the tower was some of the most inconsistent officiating I have ever seen across the entire weekend. They were so quick on the trigger in the truck race. Yet in the Xfinity race, when Nemechek spins off of Larson, coming off of turn four, goes down and hits the inside wall, and then comes back across the track, they never threw the caution until he had come all the way back across and bounced off of the outside wall and come across the line. There were cars flying by him at full speed as he's on the track in the racing groove because they hadn't thrown the caution yet. NASCAR. <laughs> then we go to the cup race, and you've got all of this at the end to where you've got this big wreck to where we go into the final caution, and NASCAR's like, well, as long as they maintain reasonable speed, they get their spot back. That's never been the rule in NASCAR, and I don't understand how that all of a sudden is a thing, because if you're in the wreck, you don't get your spot back. Well, yeah, and we had this controversy with the opposite ruling last year at Daytona when Austin Dillon won the race after everybody went to the wall when it started raining. Like, there were cars that just were, they made it out of the wreck, even though they threw the yellow flag, and I think it was Kevin Harvick that, like, mm -hmm. probably should have won that race, but they said that he was caught in the wreck and didn't maintain good speed, and it's like... What the hell's good speed like? Right, it uh, it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't, and and that's why. And I'm not saying William Byron didn't deserve this win, but that's why nobody was able to keep up with him on that overtime restart because everybody that started around him was in that wreck and damaged, so they mm -hmm. couldn't keep up with him. Harvick had damage. Elliott had even more damage. There was a reason why by the time they came off a of turn two, the only cars in the shot were Byron and Harvick, because yeah. Elliott was so slow with all of his damage, he had fallen, like, many car lengths behind them. So, yeah. they screwed up the entire finish of the race, because they're just like, oh, well, as long as they keep reasonable speed, they can keep their spot, but that basically that, handed the win to Byron. That's Not never that he didn't deserve rule. it at that point, but th literally, they just handed it to him. Yeah, I mean, I was happy to see Byron win, obviously, but that's never been the rule, mm -hmm. and I don't understand why now, at the end of a very competitive race, you just decide to put a bunch of wrecked cars that are literally on the crash damage clock back in their spots. That's never been what they've done, and I don't understand what made it different this time. No, I don't either. Um, it, it's more an NASCAR inconsistency, and that's the thing. And, like... They they try to act like that they are going to start being more consistent and they're gonna they're gonna call things exactly the same all the time and then they do like this and it just I I don't I don't, I don't care if it's gonna be dumb but if it's gonna be dumb once make it dumb like that every time I right mean, at least be consistent with it yeah I, I just you can have stupid rules but. I don't know. I mean, I'd prefer if you didn't have stupid rules, but if you're right, going to have stupid it, rules, it's, be consistent it's NASCAR, with NASCAR, so I'm not really not expecting a whole lot in that department. But yeah, right. No, I, I, I'm, I'm totally with you on this. I don't understand why they're allowed to keep their positions. And like you said, Chase Elliott, I mean, I, I he comes into turn one after the restart like 20 mile an hour slower than everybody else at Darlington, where it's usually a one groove racetrack. Mm -hmm. So nobody can do anything. And 
I don't know. I, I know Denny Hamlin talked about it. Bubba Wallace, his crew chief, talked about it. And it's just kind of like, why would you mess with the end of the race like that? It, it felt right. like they were trying to gift the win to somebody, mm-hmm. but gifted it to William Byron, who probably would have won anyway. Right. I, I don't I don't know. Well, and it, it wasn't even the cars up front. I noticed on that restart, there was somebody in the middle of the pack. I don't know who it was that was majorly damaged like the front end was caved in smoke pouring out of the car and they just pulled over to the left at the line because they were only doing like 60 70 miles an hour and couldn't go faster than that but they're restarting in the middle of the pack yeah i don't understand (laughs) it it kind of reminds me of when uh kevin harvick had a gearbox failure at what talladega a bunch of years ago and just Mm -hmm. stayed in the middle of the pack because he was in the playoffs and needed the Mm -hmm. points and everybody else wrecked and nascar's mad about it but then like literally fabricates the same exact situation in uh darlington okay (laughs) yeah i I don't get it they've got to be more consistent and then there was one that i was uh i was listening to door bumper clear this week and uh which uh Whichever one of them is the spotter for for Justin Haley, I don't remember which one it is, but mm-hmm. um, he was talking about how NASCAR had said something on the radio about uh, 41 uh, with Brian Priest um, needed to go to the back of the line um, and they wouldn't be choosing in whatever position they were in. But then that's all they said, and nobody was super clear on if he'd said 41 or 31. And he's like, well, I'm not going to ask, did you say 31? Do you want me to go to the back? They're going to have to repeat themselves. Right. They didn't ever say anything. They get by the choose cone, and then the the 41 goes to the inside, and he has Haley go to the outside, and then all of a sudden the official comes on the radio, 41, you're a penalty car. You need to get out of there. You went ahead and let them choose, though, which determined where everybody else behind them chose. So now you're just moving up the entire inside line and screwing up the restart because (laughs) you didn't hound him to get out of there like you should have. Yeah, I've struggled with the choose cone, but that makes it even worse. Mm -hmm. Like, I always thought the choose cone was... They're trying to, like, fabricate results and make it so that the restarts are more interesting and all that but at the same time also making it so multiple team cars can line up one behind the other and just shove each other across the start finish line it's like it seems really counterintuitive which i guess i shouldn't be surprised at this point but it doesn't really make sense that you would want to have complete chaos on a restart but also let the teams organize it so that they can finish like one two three four like i don't well that's only really an issue at Daytona and Talladega, which didn't have a choose cone until this year, mind you. Um, oh, good. I'm glad we changed that. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, that that's only really an issue there where they can get in line and draft with each other. At tracks like this, that's not as big of a deal to get teammates lined up together. It, it probably is a little bit, but at the same time, it's less about lining up with your teammates on tracks like this and just lining up where you think you've got the best opportunity to make the most spots possible, or if you're the leader to hold on to the lead. Um, so I don't have so much of a problem with the choose cone outside of Daytona and Talladega. Cause I think it really kind of messes things up at Daytona and Talladega worse than what they're already messed up. But 
Um, yeah, when when NASCAR is not even when they're when they're affecting how the choose cone plays out by letting a penalty car stay in there and then making them get out. So then you've screwed up everybody behind them because they've all chosen based on what he did. It's I don't know they, they they've got to clean some things up in the tower. Yeah, probably should have just because that was already when it was at overtime, wasn't it? Uh, maybe. I don't know when that was in the race. Well, it probably at that point, was. At that point, you've already extended the end of the race anyway, so they should have just had him go around and choose again. <laughs> right. Well, and that's the thing. And um, that's what uh, he made the comment on DBC was, well, they don't, they don't want to have us waste laps and choose again, but at the same time, it's their mistake. They need to fix it. And we're already wasting laps because we're on overtime anyway. Right. One extra lap isn't going to kill us at that point. Whatever. I, I always... <sighs> I struggle with the overtime because I don't want to see a race end under caution more than anybody else does. But I also don't want to see the like five or six fastest cars the entire race get wrecked because now they're closer together than they were two laps ago. But uh, I guess we should probably move on from that because now I'm just griping about NASCAR again. <laughs> But <laughs> isn't that the point around here? I gripe about Arca. You gripe about NASCAR. Yeah. <laughs> we both like Appar IndyCar, even though you forget to watch it. <laughs> Apparently, I'm Arca's biggest critic, and you're also their number one supporter. So <laughs> exactly, I don't, I don't. I don't know how that works, but <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, um, Ross Chastain is making headlines again in a negative another week. Way another again. Ross Chastain stupid move, or or as I typed in the talking points another week another ross chastain incident <laughs> yeah i i think if he starts a podcast it needs to be something about incident instead of denny's action detrimental which they should really like that should be chastain's thing not yeah denny's well, thing. i don't know denny's had a lot of actions detrimental penalties in his career so i think it works very well for denny yeah it, it does work pretty well for denny but yeah ross I, he's finally done enough that his team and his engine sponsor is starting to get a little bit involved uh this week. I don't uh, I don't know that is I don't know that Chevy's really getting involved. But Chevy's they had some talks. Hendrick was asking Chevy to have talks, but unless I missed something, I don't think Chevy ever said anything about actually doing anything about Ross. I think uh I read a headline earlier that Chevy was talking to Justin Marks earlier today. Oh, were they? Yeah, okay. Not not really like saying specifically things like that, but mm -hmm. that they still had a call after all of this happened. And I think Hendrick brings up a decent point. As much as I hate the manufacturer alliances in NASCAR, like you go to super speedway races and it's just a line of Chevys and a line of Fords, and it's like okay, but. I I get the point though because they do have a manufacturer's championship still. And if you're Chevy and one of your drivers is taking out several other of your drivers every week from contention, you might want to say something about it. And I I I think Ross Chastain is good for NASCAR because of the headlines he brings. He is any attention is good attention. Yeah, well to an extent, but no, there's no to an extent to it. If there, if you're putting eyeballs on the sport, 
That's more people watching. That's more people that could stick around in the future. Any attention uh, is I, good attention. I think Kyle Larson dropping an N-bomb during COVID and getting all the attention from that was not good attention, but stuff like I, that. I, I don't know. I feel like in the end, that might have actually brought in more fans. Not because of it's exactly... It's a really backwards what... way of looking at it, but yeah, and I see I, your point. I see your point. Yeah. I'm going to agree to just see your point and leave it at that. We're not going to disagree this week, though. I'm not, I'm not saying... <laughs> I'm not saying people came in specifically because he said what he said. Right. I'm saying that it got attention on the sport, so maybe people tuned in that wouldn't have after NASCAR suspended him, and then they were like, oh, this isn't as bad as I thought it was, and they after stuck around. We, after we made all the jokes about NASCAR being as racist as we thought it was kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But no, I, I, I think Ross Chastain and his the attention he brings is good for the sport, like the weird martinsville thing you did last year that was that that will stay awesome it's gonna also stay overplayed and overused it's still awesome mm-hmm. but you gotta like at some point you're a race driver you're you're not just a test laps guy he is fast every week he's fast mm-hmm. but he can't race with people and you can't be in the cup series and not be able to race people just because yeah. of how close the cars always are. I mean, Darlington, you're inches away from the car if you're trying to make a pass. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't like have somebody tap you in the door and then be so mad about it that the next lap you're just going to send him straight in the wall. I struggle with that. and I want to see, see a good race and I want to see NASCAR do well. This is the wrong way to go about it, I think. Well, so here's the thing. I don't think he intentionally wrecked himself and Larson in that. No, situation. I don't think so either. I just think he misjudged it. But he misjudged it, it and he, made he said a as much again. Head move, yeah. He said that again, and it's like, how many times can you misjudge something like this before we just say you can't do this? You know, right? Like you're supposed to be better than this at that level. Like, sure, you're gonna make mistakes every once in a while. Like we're human none of us are perfect we're gonna make mistakes but when you're making mistakes like that every single week do you really deserve to be at this level yeah you can't you you don't at cup series level you don't get to make that same mistake three weeks in a row and not have repercussions for it Mm -hmm. in my opinion yeah as much as i think he's a great race car driver you can't do this three weeks in a row and not expect somebody to be mad about it Especially when it's the same car three weeks in a row, you know? Yeah. Was it the same car three weeks in a row? Uh, Larson's gotten wrecked by him three weeks in a row now. When did he wreck Larson at Kansas? That was Denny. That was Denny. I don't know. They said something about it. So I know Denny. I thought they like, did. Denny finished they did him too. off. And, but yeah. yeah, Cliff Daniels said something about three weeks in a row from Ross Chastain. I don't know if it was like a weird block that he threw at Kansas or something, but it's definitely two out of the last three weeks that yeah. the, the five's been finished off by Kansas. the one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know he did something stupid at Kansas because I remember us talking about it, but I don't remember what it was now. I think it was a stupid block or something. That sounds Probably. like a Ross Chastain thing to do. It but very much sounds like a Ross Chastain thing. Yeah. Um, I want to see Daniel Suarez do well at that team. We've seen flashes of it, but he has yet to really put a full weekend together, I think. Yeah, outside of 
winning at Sonoma last year. Like he's been, I don't even remember quick. that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got that one win with them, but outside of winning at Sonoma, he's been quick, but he's not really been in contention for wins outside of that. Like maybe a couple of road courses he's been there, but like he'll run top 10 ish, but he's never like right up in the front competing for the win. Yeah, it's like I always see him in the top 10 in the middle of the race, and by the end of the race, he's kind of falling off. And I don't know if that's the team not keeping up with adjustments with the track or just him getting flustered or something, but I don't know. I, I want to see Daniel Suarez do well, and I want to see the guys that they bring in to run that 91 car do well, too, because that mm-hmm. has potential to put a lot more eyes on NASCAR. It absolutely does. Trackhouse uh, has been doing a lot for the sport, and I, I think that needs to be recognized Every once mm-hmm. in a while, apart from Ross Chastain, the the whole team is a very cool idea. Honestly, I think Trackhouse is the best thing happening in NASCAR right now. The things Justin Marks is doing for this sport are revolutionary. And if this sport takes off again and gets back to the point where it was 10, 15 years ago, I think a lot of it will be due to Justin Marks and the things he has done with Trackhouse. Yeah, NASCAR is still pulling the best TV ratings and numbers out of any motorsport in the country. Not if you listen to Gunther Steiner. Oh, God. <laughs> God what an idiot. Did you listen to Connor Daly's podcast from last week that was talking about yeah. Gunther? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Connor brings up some good points in that podcast about F1 not being about racing and being about the spectacle now and Mm-hmm. Actually, I saw a stat. I'm going to read this verbatim because it was such an interesting statistic. We're we're going back to IndyCar here. Uh, three days of the F1 paddock club with food and drink, a pit lane walk, and a day of paddock access and the podium ceremony is a dollar short of $14,000 for the Miami race. For $14,000, you can hang around the garage area for three days. 11 days in the IMS Holman Terrace Club, pit and garage access, including race day pit and garage access, food, drink, and parking pass, about $200 short of 4000 That's still a lot, but it's not even close it's to a what lot, that one is. But it's four times the number of days with even more access because it's IndyCar anyway for the biggest event in motorsport in the world versus just some race in Miami. Well, oh, but, being but if you're, but if you're LL Cool J, it's what do you call it? The greatest spectacle in motorsports or whatever it was. Um, yeah. I think it was the greatest spectacle in motorsport instead of the greatest spectacle in racing, which mm-hmm. uh, IndyCar is very pissed off about that. Oh, oh I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> greatest spectacle in racing is trademarked by mm-hmm. the speedway. You yeah. cannot use that. And F1 used that to advertise the Vegas race earlier this year. And mm-hmm. IndyCar contacted F1 and said, hey, we're going to sue you if you do that again. And F1 was like, okay, sorry, we'll get rid yeah. of that. And then LL Cool J comes in at Miami and does, says the same exact thing. And now IndyCar is like, now you've done it twice. Mm-hmm. Like fifty one, you, you, know, you know, <laughs> you know that's not just something LL Cool J came up with verbatim. You know, somebody slipped no. a card to him and it was just like, "Hey, make sure you slip this in somewhere." Yeah, which which I think is bull. I don't mm-hmm. understand how we're all racing fans. Everybody anywhere that likes cars is a racing fan. 
why do we have to be so competitive about this? And why can't we just leave like this alone? Because F1 is threatened by IndyCar and how good IndyCar is right now. Yeah. It so may not have anywhere fix close your, to the same amount of rating. Fix your but... uh, car specs in F1 and maybe make a racing series instead of a glorified parade with some celebrities and make it what F1 was supposed to be, the greatest racing series in the world. And just let us have the one thing, man. <laughs> you know what's funny is 100 Days to Indy uses literally the exact formula for Drive to Survive and has basically the same amount of drama and excitement that Drive to Survive has, except 100 Days to Indy's drama and excitement is not manufactured. All of this actually happened. Whereas mm -hmm. Drive to Survive, they're having to manufacture it and make it exciting. Yeah, I mean, I really hope that next year they bring the 100 Days to anything back, but do it for the whole season. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know how you could do that with the 500 being what it is and as important as it is, but it, it's a really cool thing. And now I'm kind of kicking myself for not watching Drive to Survive ever, but now I'm like also on this little island where I haven't watched Drive to Survive, so I'm not gonna, you know? <laughs> you still could. I mean, I still no, recommend I it. I'm it is good entertainment. It is I, I can't support F1 like that. Okay, well, I, fair enough. I, I understand that. Um, no, I, I can't do it. <laughs> the problem with IndyCar it, for doing a full season of a 100 Days to Indy type show is they've, they've built the 500 up onto such a pedestal, and none of the rest of the races hardly mean anything to the general public. Like, the mm -hmm. Indy 500 is it. So how do you convince people to watch a show like that that shows the entire season when none of them care about any of it except for the Indy 500. Well, and it's very evident everywhere because I was talking to some people earlier this week. They're like, oh, are you going to NASCAR race in Indy at the end of the month? Mm -hmm. Th that's how little people know about IndyCar. And I, th I think that's sad because it's my favorite racing series in the world. And there's just so much about IndyCar to like. I mean, I, I went to the race this weekend, and for $40, I was able to walk wherever I wanted on the track. Not on the track, but, like, around the stands, everywhere. Um, just pick your own seat, bring a lawn chair, whatever. Uh, we were there from 8 in the morning to 6 in the afternoon for 40 bucks, And I saw or like was within an arm's reach of six or seven of the drivers. Mm -hmm. You can just get autographs from them as they're walking to the grid. Like you don't get that in a lot of other seasons. You can kind of get that in NASCAR, but NASCAR doesn't even let you watch technical inspections anymore. <laughs> and yeah, you're never going to get that in F1 unless apparently you pay $14,000, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know what we got to do to promote IndyCar and, I, I hope there's something that comes along, and if it's Liberty Media buying IndyCar, then I'm just going to, like, end humanity or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think that would be the worst possible thing, because sure, they would be, they would have more reach that way, but they would also just be a feeder series to F1, and I don't think yeah. anybody wants that, because I think that would end up ruining IndyCar in the long run. One little bright spot for IndyCar popularity this year. Augustine Canapino, he is an Argentinian driver who is driving for Junco's Hollinger Racing. Who uh, Junco's is an Argentinian guy. 
Uncos. Um, that's a fun Uncos. name to say. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, starts with a J because it's you yep. know Hispanic. So, but Augustine Canapino is in, apparently incredibly popular in Argentina. Uh, I'd never even heard of him until he came over here. But he is very popular in Argentina. If you look at IndyCar's social media posts now, like half of the uh, comments are like in Spanish dialects because of Augustine <laughs> and Pato yeah. Award. But uh, they are Pato's looking... another one that is surprisingly popular. Dude, Pato's awesome. After watching yeah. the 100 Days to Indy, I am mm-hmm. totally on board with Pato. I still hate yep, the McLaren same. team. Pato's awesome. Yep. But uh, Augustine Canapino and the Junco's Hollinger team has brought enough attention to IndyCar in Argentina that they're looking to add a race in Argentina next year. Hmm. So wow. IndyCar going to more countries again. That's cool. Can we please bring back Twin Ring Motigi? Yeah. NASCAR is talking about the same thing right now, too. Dude, um, that'd be so cool. NASCAR raced at Suzuka once, which I didn't know. They did a couple of times. They raced a couple exhibition races there. That's, uh, that's well, not cool. <laughs> unless I'm thinking of something different. It wasn't Suzuka. It was Motegi. They did Motegi also. Oh, okay. I must, I must have forgotten about Suzuka then. Um, but yeah, so I guess in the immediate future, they're looking at going to Canada and Mexico, mm-hmm. but then like at some point, I think if they can get the logistics figured out, they want to take a race to Europe too. Yeah. And it, we've seen the NFL reach out to Europe recently and like there's even a Colts game in Germany this coming year. Mm-hmm. I would like to see American motorsports become global we've seen i mean f1 has always been a global sport but they've come over here and been more involved over here recently i'd like to take our stuff to them and not not right. like not to be like a, our stuff's better than your stuff but like motorsport even though it be, is yeah even though it is motorsport should be for everyone and i don't like anything that restricts access to motorsport for anybody mm-hmm. which is no, why streaming is stupid that i disagree with I am 100% oh, really? on board with making everything streaming and have been for a while. Cable does do a lot of stupid stuff. It's just, I, of course, yeah, now that I think about it, I don't really understand what the stigma is behind streaming. Like, I don't either. I, I think Peacock's like six bucks a month. Yeah. People you, are like, you, oh, buy... I don't want it behind a paywall. But you pay for cable. <laughs> well, here's what I'm doing for my new apartment up here is like, I'm paying for YouTube TV, which is like 60 bucks a month, and I'm paying mm-hmm. for my Wi-Fi, which is like 80 bucks a month. Then I have like a Disney Plus and a Peacock and HBO Max, which together is like maybe 20 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. So if 160 bucks, I can watch literally anything I want, and most of it I can watch on my phone away mm-hmm. from home. Yeah. So... For 160 yeah, show, bucks, I get show me all a that. cable network that you can watch on your phone. Right. For 160 bucks, I get all of that. And when I was still living down there, for 140, 150 bucks, I was getting Wi-Fi and basic cable. That's it. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, there there are some things like if NASCAR was on FS2, which happened a couple times, I just didn't get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so I don't understand why everybody's so against streaming just because nobody's ever done. Nobody's ever done the math and realized that it's not as bad as you think it is. Oh, it's behind a paywall. 
Well, you've so got to pay for it no matter else. what. And unless it's on Big Fox or Big NBC, it's going to be behind a paywall. And everything the, you ever watch is behind a paywall. <laughs> right. Like, technically, over the air is still out there. But again, you're only going to be able to see Big Fox and Big NBC. So unless they put every single race on Big Fox and Big NBC, which is not happening anymore and will probably will not ever happen again, you're going to have to pay to see some of the races. So it's going to yeah. be... I, I don't understand why people think it's more expensive to go the streaming route. I really don't. Especially when it's like $6 a month. Yeah, exactly. If Even if you're, if you're making, what, like $20 an hour, you work not even half an hour, and boom, there's all of your IndyCar for the whole month. Like... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, people do, I mean, do you got to remember that. there's other bills than that out there too, but yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> Trust me. I I I know that. Oh yeah. <laughs> IndyCar is kind of more important than well, I guess it's not. Food. This month it is more important than the extra McDonald's trips. <laughs> That's right. I honestly I think it's more important than any McDonald's trip because IndyCar is awesome. McDonald's is kind of mid McDonald's has really fallen off a cliff. I went to McDonald's not too long ago because I, they sent me a, a notification that I had a bunch of points that were about to expire, and I was like, well, I might as well use up the points for the free stuff while it's there, not let it go to waste. So I went and got, and it was some of the worst food I've ever eaten in my life. It's gone so far downhill. It's like, not that McDonald's was ever great, but like I don't think I'm ever going to go back at least not anytime in the in the <laughs> near future. It's so bad. Welcome to the podcast where we start off with IndyCar and end with IndyCar and somehow McDonald's <laughs> and somehow food reviews. <laughs> yeah. Uh should but, we get into predictions for this coming weekend? We probably should. Yes. All right. Um so we've got uh, two races at North Wilkesboro this weekend, the return of North Wilkesboro. Trucks and the Cup Series All-Star Race, and then ARCA East is at Flat Rock Speedway, which you would think is the biggest ARCA race of the season, the way they've been touting it, that, um, from what I've heard, does not have a, an entry list to back up that claim of being the best race of the year, but I digress. Ooh, ARCA. Uh, yeah, Tyler, who you got for the truck race? I'm going to go with Ross Chastain. Uh, he is entering into the truck race this weekend, as are a couple other cup guys, because they've never raced at North Wilkesboro. But I think Ross Chastain is going to maybe not dominate this race, but you've seen Carson Hosevar do very well in that same equipment so far this year. And I think Chastain's going to really hit home on this short track. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair guess. Um, I don't know. Chastain's been... Very hit or miss in trucks this year. You're right. Uh, Hosevar has been very fast in those trucks, but Hosevar and Chastain have been like the shining light of Nice Motorsports. Outside of that, those trucks haven't done anything for two or three years. Like, mm -hmm. Hosevar has been carrying that team, and then Chastain will run really well when he's there most of the time. But, yeah, I think that's a solid pick. I, though, am going to go with William Byron, who's back in the 51 truck this weekend, I think, uh, he will take that KBM truck back to victory lane and uh, have a solid night on his way to the all-star race. Now, speaking of the all-star race, we're going to start and make picks for the open as well. Tyler, who do you think wins the all-star open from North Wilkesboro? I'm going to go with Josh Berry. Um, he's only in the open because, you know, he's not Alex Bowman, 
but I think Josh Berry's done an exceptional job in the Hendrick Motorsports equipment this year, and I think he deserves a ride at Hendrick, but I don't know where you'd fit him. Um, so I think that car is by far and away the best car that's in the open, and I think Josh Berry's going to wheel it to a win. Solid choice, especially as good as he is on short tracks. Um, although he was very non-existent at Darlington, I almost forgot he was in the race a couple times until he got lapped. So yeah. I don't know what happened at Darlington, but yeah, most of the time when he's been in those cup cars, he's been really good. Um, I'm going to go with somebody else that is very good on short tracks. And um, I was surprised to see him in the open. Then I realized that, yeah, he's not won a cup race yet. So of course he's in the open. Ty Gibbs, I think, wins the Open. I think, especially with who's on the entry list for the Open, I think it definitely probably comes down to those two between Barry and Gibbs. Yeah, uh, one maybe Almarola, but yeah. that's pushing well, and, it. And honestly, they'll probably both make it in because I believe they are still going with the rules of Thank if, you get, you win a, if you win a stage in the Open, that automatically advances you into the, into the main event. I think there's five spots to get into the main probably it's either three or five there's well there's probably four because there would be you win a stage you win the race and the fan vote well no i bet there is five because i think there have been three stage winners in the past for the open so you probably got three stage winners from the open the overall race winner for the open and then you got the fan vote fan vote so i i think if josh barry ty gibbs eric amarola and Maybe like Almondinger and somebody else. I don't. Maybe Justin Haley or something. Uh, Corey LaJoy. Corey LaJoy. Yeah, he'd be good too. He's good on short tracks. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's probably who I'm looking for to transfer into the main. But I think with the fairly mediocre season that Ty Gibbs has had so far this year, with the exceptional Xfinity series season he had last year they're starting to get to be kind of a it's go time for ty gibbs and i think if he doesn't make it into the main then there's going to be some questions well in the last few weeks he's definitely showed more speed than he did in the beginning i think yeah. it was just getting used to uh being in the cup car because i and there I were a few races get the pull that excuse after how many races he did in cup last year well and that's the thing though when he ran cup last year he was a little hit or miss. Some races he showed speed, and then other races he was non-existent. So um, I think you definitely can pull that excuse because, I mean, look at look at Chase Elliott. Like, it took him three years to win a cup race. I think so, Ty Gibbs is probably better than Chase Elliott is, though. Exactly. So, I don't know. Uh, but I think he definitely is starting to turn the corner. There's, he's definitely seemed to have more consistent speed the last few weeks, so... Uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Tyler, who you got for the main event for the All-Star Race? This one's going to shake some feathers, I think. I have Bubba Wallace for the main event. Um, this is like half a because I think he probably could and half because I want to see NASCAR fans' heads just explode if Bubba Wallace wins the first race back in North Wilkesboro. Um, if it's not Bubba Wallace... Then Tyler it's likes a, controversy. I do like controversy. <laughs> But if it's not That's why he Wallace, secretly likes Ross Chastain. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm never going to get over that. Uh, if it's not 
Bo Wallace, which, I mean, it's a 50-50 shot there. If it's not him, I think it's going to be one of the 400 cars, and I just don't care to pick one of the 400 cars because I've been picking, what, uh, the same truck for, like, the whole freaking season. Yeah, at least you didn't pick Zane Smith again. Yeah, I can't even pick Zane Smith for the cup race, but no. uh, You could have for the Open. I, I yeah, I could have. I think but, he was uh, in the open. Yeah, I, I just no. The he's Hendrick not the cars, open. Never mind. Hendrick cars are obviously going to be strong, and I think Bubba Wallace has been fairly good on short tracks recently. And who knows? Maybe he'll make something happen. Yeah, no, I I think that's a pretty solid pick. Um, I, on the other hand, um, I think am going to make some people happy with this one. I'm going to go with Chase Elliott because. Chase is one of the few drivers to have experience on this track. No, he's not run a cup car there, but nobody has run a cup car there that's in this field. Uh, But he has run a late model there when they tried to revive the track, what, 10 years ago or so. And then he is also on the entry list to run at least one late model race this week in the festivities leading up to the race as well. So I think just that time on the track is going to... Uh, help Chase Elliott and propel him to an all-star race victory. Tell you who I want to win this week, though. Okay. Kevin Harvick. Yeah, I think that would be a good one. I think he's got a shot, and it'd be awesome because he's where he's uh, got a throwback paint scheme this weekend again. Um, I think it's, yes, he's, it's he's got his, his first uh, NASCAR start, isn't it? Uh, well... Well, first but start, his first, first year. win, first season, yeah. And back to, and he's actually got the 29 number. Oh, yeah, uh, he does. That'd be, can you imagine? Oh, that would be great. That'd be awesome. That'd be fantastic. I would um, be in trouble with Racewind Diecast this year. <laughs> <laughs> I've already got the clean version pre-ordered, but I'd cancel that for a race version. Um, all right, TV schedule for this weekend. The truck's will be Saturday at 1.30 p.m. on FS1. The ARCA East Race from Flat Rock will be Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. on Flow Racing. The All-Star Race, the Open, will be 5.30 p.m. Sunday evening on FS1, followed by the main event, 8 p.m. on FS1. And my shameless IndyCar plug uh, practice Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. They start in the morning, like 9, 10 o'clock, and go till 6 Eastern in the evening. You want Uh, to find the actual times for these? I probably should, but it's... it's, That way, if someone wants to... That way, if someone wants to watch them, they don't have to go look for it. You tell them when it is. We'll we'll pull it up real quick, just because you said something about it. Uh, Trying to keep him honest here. Starts at 11 a.m., uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday this week. They go until 6 p.m. Uh, Saturday, there's a 7.30 a.m. practice, but qualifying starts at 10 a.m. And this uh, is all on Peacock? It's all on Peacock. Uh, let's see. Then we got another practice Sunday morning, 10.30, and top 12 shootout is at 1 o'clock p.m. on Sunday. And then on the big NBC... Uh, <laughs> the mothership. Yeah, the mothership. You got the last row qualifying on Sunday at 3 p.m. That'll be the four cars at the end of the grid. Uh, one car will go home. And then you got the Firestone Fast 6. That is on the, also the big NBC at 4 p.m. on Sunday. 
All right. So lots of IndyCar this weekend, lots of NASCAR, ARCA, uh, lots of stuff for you to see this weekend and enjoy racing-wise. It's going to be a big weekend, uh, but I think that's going to about do it. So I hope we have an episode next week, although I can't necessarily promise it because our work schedules don't quite line up next week very well. So we will see how that goes. Hopefully we can do an all-star recap, but I can't promise it right now, but we'll do our best to to have you an episode next week. So uh, if we don't see you next week, we'll see you in two weeks. But uh, have a good weekend. Enjoy the all-star race. Enjoy Indy 500 qualifying. Enjoy Flat Rock and everything else this weekend. So at that, I'm Garth. That's Tyler. This is the Rookie Stripes podcast. Racing news now.